Welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. As a qualified nutritionist, I'm here to strip away the nonsense and get down to the bare essentials of nutrition and wellness. Join us as we debunk myths, chat with top-notch experts, and serve up practical tips that will leave you feeling empowered. Get ready to uncover the naked truth about living your healthiest life. Let's undress. Welcome back to the Naked Wellness Podcast. I am so excited because today I have a very special guest with me. I have Danielle Bublitz. Danielle is a registered dietitian nutritionist who helps those with diabetes to feel empowered to enjoy all foods while still managing their blood sugars, which is so powerful. And Danielle actually uses the intuitive eating and the haze or health at every size framework to support her clients and allow them to live that life where they don't feel restricted and they have a very positive and helpful relationship with themselves, which I obviously love and is so aligned with me. So Danielle, I am so excited to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you. Amazing. Well, did you want to start off with giving us a little bit of an introduction about yourself, your own journey that you've been on that's got you to where you are today? Yeah, yeah. So um, Danielle, I've been a dietitian for about like five years now. Um, I'm from California, so uh, the other side of the world. But um Yeah, so I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 16 years old, and that was a pretty huge shock to my family. Uh, You know, no one else in the family had diabetes. It's like I hadn't really, like, seen maybe, like, an aunt, like, an aunt or an uncle or grand. I hadn't seen anyone um, managing diabetes. So when I was diagnosed, it was like, okay, what do I do? Like, what is my life going to look like? And prior to being diagnosed, I had already been struggling with um, binging. So I was having a lot of issues with dieting. You know, I was at the age of 10, I was being put on my first diet, you know, so just lots of problems happening up until the diagnosis. And after that, I felt like, okay, well, for my health, I need to really work at this and manage my blood sugars. But I went a whole other direction where I became too fixated on food, extremely black and white, uh, basically, you know, yo-yo dieting. And it wasn't until I was in my undergrad for nutrition that I was assigned the book Intuitive Eating. And I remember bringing the book home and really resonating with a lot of you know, what the book talks about and, you know, breaking up with dieting, uh, challenging food rules. It's like every page, I I couldn't put the book down because I just felt like, wow, I resonate so much with this. So I started practicing intuitive eating. And um, when I became a dietitian, I worked in a hospital and I wasn't teaching people about intuitive eating in that setting, we do a lot of like, uh, medical nutrition therapy, but I saw such a need for, you know, people with medical conditions. um, You know, as far as their relationship with food, you know, I met with tons of people with diabetes that were like, coming in and saying like, well, I cut out bread, I did all these things. And in my mind, I'm like, no, you don't have to do that. Um, so, you know, it's always been a passion of mine, like to help others with diabetes. And that's when I started my own business, um, back in 2021, um, to help people with all forms of diabetes work on their relationship with food while managing their blood sugars. So that's where I'm at today. 
I love it. And obviously you are so passionate about it because you've personally been through the journey yourself. And we were chatting a bit before we started recording around mm-hmm. how so often people get diagnosed with things and the doctors give them these really strict and rigid things to follow. But also they give it to them in this sense of, well, here's here's a diet to follow. Or here's something to follow. Okay, off you go. Like now you're on your own. Like there's yeah. no support. Yep. There's no guidance there either. So it can feel really right. overwhelming for a lot of people and they mm-hmm. might feel a little bit lost or they start spiraling into the restrictive eating without actually even realizing that it's happening to them because in their mind they're like well i have this condition this is what i want to manage this is how i'm going to do it which is then Mm -hmm. you know like they're going in blind almost because they don't have that support yeah absolutely and i think honestly a lot of times people with diabetes you know whether type 1 type 2 or other forms yeah they get diagnosed and it's just so overwhelming. There's a lot of shame in the diagnosis. And then it's like, like you said, not getting a lot of support. So then people are looking to Facebook groups for support or Google. And it's like, uh, even in the diabetes community, there's a lot of misinformation around food. So I would say um, it is very challenging to accept and internalize the idea that, you know, foods like carbs can exist in your life and you can manage your blood sugars. It just doesn't, for a lot of people, it seems like out of reach. Yeah. And so did you want to talk about that and how you actually guide your clients into finding that balance with these foods? Because you're so right. So many people probably sitting here listening to this being like, yeah, right. Like I all I've heard my entire life is if you have diabetes, you have to cut out the carbs or the sugars, right? So mm-hmm. how do you actually mm-hmm. go about this of allowing people to incorporate everything and to not have that restrictive mindset around food anymore whilst managing diabetes and their blood sugars? Yeah. So really when I work with my clients or even in like the, the classes that I run, it's, it's really about starting from what are the myths and misconceptions? We have to start there because if you think about the food rules that people build with having diabetes, there's a lot. So I really love to first educate people on what diabetes is and what it isn't, which, you know, when you have diabetes, a lot of times, um, especially with type two, there's this stigma. It's like, oh, it's the lifestyle disease. You should have been able to reverse it, prevent it. This shouldn't have happened. But in reality, when we're thinking about diabetes, like with type one, for instance, you know, your pancreas is no longer producing insulin. So when you eat anything, it breaks down into energy in the body, like carbs breaks down into that glucose. Since your pancreas is not giving you insulin, that insulin's not able to grab the blood sugar for energy. This is not your fault. And same with type two, you know, or other forms of diabetes, like with type two, there's an insulin resistance, meaning that again, same situation, you're eating your food, um, the carbohydrates breaking down, but you know, while your pancreas is producing little bits of insulin, it's not working efficiently. So again, that blood sugar sits. And there's just so many factors at play when it comes to diabetes, like genetics, you know, comorbidities, like people, women that have polycystic ovarian syndrome tend to have insulin resistance. Um, You know, thinking about people that need to take steroids, if you take steroids, that can increase your blood sugars. Oftentimes in pregnancy, some hormones can occur. So it's like, there are a lot of factors at play and it's not your fault. 
So I really, really try to begin with that, you know, let's break down those misconceptions. And then we start working through how can we create meals that are going to nourish you and satisfy and help with your blood sugars, which, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated ways that we can balance our meals is including a carb source, protein, fats, and fiber. And the great thing about that is you have variety in your meals. You have satisfaction when you include that fat source. And also with having like the carb source paired with those, it actually, the protein, fat, and fiber will slow the carb breakdown, which helps prevent those blood sugar spikes. So I, I love teaching this because it's realistic and pretty much for each person, you can find ways to incorporate all the meals you currently eat to balance your blood sugars. So those are a couple of the main things I focus on to start is let's work through some of those myths and misconceptions and let's work on how we can make your current meals work for you. You know what I love about that is that it's not complicated. It's not daunting. It's it's just taking it right back to those basics and yes. understanding what the truths are and then what is actually going to work for your individual body without it being something that is scary or something dramatic that you have to change, yes. which I think is really, yes. really powerful. And so then yeah. how do you then bring intuitive eating into that as well? And did you kind of want to touch on what intuitive eating actually is as well? Yeah, yeah. So intuitive eating is a self care framework, which basically it's helping bring people back to their internal cues, like physical sensations versus outside cues. So if we think about, you know, like diet culture, like the dieting wellness industry, it's like, it has us focusing on counting calories, apps, looking at a scale, it's like all those things are dictating, if you can choose to eat something or not. And that really disconnects us from our bodies. And so intuitive eating basically helps reconnect us to trust our bodies again, you know, to trust that our bodies are going to know what to do with the food, to trust that, you know, when we're having a meal, you know, when we are nourishing our bodies consistently, that urgency and that feeling of chaos with eating starts diminishing because our body is learning that it's going to get that consistent nourishment on a daily basis. It's a really beautiful thing. And I, I know, especially for you, it's like you preach that. So, um, yeah, so sorry, I got into a huge tangent about that part, but yeah, basically the way I like integrate intuitive eating with like diabetes management is again, really working off some of the basics, um, focusing on, health promoting behaviors. So mm -hmm. wanting to make sure that first and foremost, you're eating enough. Okay, you're eating enough. Wonderful. Can we work through some of these food rules? Um, can we start assessing where your hunger and fullness is at? Because also a really fun thing with blood sugars um, is that when your blood sugar is low or high, you can feel hungry. And that can really mess with people as they're practicing intuitive eating. So it's like just kind of learning how to tap into, okay, I'm feeling hungry, my blood sugar is okay. It's been a while since I've had something to eat, I think I need to start getting a snack in between or get my meal. Um, so I really try to help people 
understand that, you know, having diabetes doesn't mean that they can't tap into their internal cues. So, yeah. I love that. I think that's so powerful. And one thing that you just mentioned just there is starting to unlearn the, the food rules and the fear foods. How do you go about this? Because this can be part of this journey that is so I gotta say mentally draining and mm. scary because for a lot of people they've probably come from a history of maybe restrictive eating where they have yeah. been given all these rules from other diets maybe that they've gone on or the doctor has told them this is something that you have to follow so from that they've now created food rules which as we know can then turn into fear foods of this unknown of well if i eat that what is going to happen like i don't know and for a lot yes. of women it comes from a fear of weight gain which is a whole other topic which we can get into as yeah. well oh, yeah. but how mm -hmm. do you help your clients to actually start to break those food rules and reintroduce those fear mm. foods yeah it is really all about challenging those rules but i preface that with um you know when we're thinking about challenging food rules so let's say for example you're wanting to try having regular sourdough bread versus having maybe like a low carb bread. And that can be very nerve wracking for somebody with diabetes. Cause maybe the thought is I was told that's going to mess with my blood sugar, or maybe I've seen it mess with my blood sugar. So the way we can practice this is understanding, okay, find a time where, you know, it's going to work best for you mentally because you don't want to be, you don't want to be doing this at work where that may be a stressful environment, or you don't want to be doing this when you're out with friends, if that's going to be stressful. So find the space that's relaxing for you or feels safe, try out the food and just take it as this is just data. When I look at these numbers, after I try having this fear food, I, uh, I'm just going to look at this as data to help me make adjustments. Because it never means if you notice that your blood sugars increase, it doesn't mean that food is never going to exist in your life. It just means, hey, maybe there's a different tool that might work to help you and help this food, you know, fit into your life a little better. So that's what I, I try to do when we're challenging those fears is just really preface that this doesn't have to be perfect and it may take trials and errors and that's okay. So it's coming in from a place of curious rather than critical and being like, yes. okay, well, how is this actually impacting me rather than, oh, this is so frustrating. Like, why is this happening? I can't have that. I'm going to have to cut that out because that in, in turn is also incredibly exhausting mentally to always be having so that self-criticism. <laughs> so incredibly exhausting. I feel like I've had clients tell me, tell me that as well. It's just like, I'm just tired of thinking about food so much. Um, and you know, one of the beautiful things is that a lot of times people, as they start recognizing tools that help them with blood sugar balance, suddenly food doesn't feel so stressful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I shouldn't say suddenly because it can take a lot of inner work and all that, but it's like when that clicks, it's like, okay, I don't feel nerve, you know, I don't feel so nervous. I feel like I can just move on with my day rather than have so much of that mental space thinking about food. Yeah, because it does. It takes up 
so much of your mental capacity that you could be putting towards relationships, friendships, careers. And, you know, we've all, well, I wouldn't say all, but for all of us that have come from, I guess, having that unhealthy relationship with food, we've had those moments where you've gone out with your friends for a dinner or a lunch and you've spent the whole day thinking about food. And then Mm. you're sitting there at the dinner trying to read the menu and it's all you can think about. You're thinking about what you've had before going, what you're going to have after going, what are you going to have tomorrow? What are you going to order? That you're actually not even Mm -hmm. present with the people that you are there with. And it's taking you away from creating those core memories and being right then and there with the people Mm -hmm. that matter to you most. And like, it's actually not how life is meant to be lived. Like we are not meant to live where food is the one in control over us. We get to be the ones in control over food. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. Because, you know, food is also celebration and joy and so many things. So, you know, I think for people with diabetes, it can be really challenging because when you do see your blood sugars either go up or down, there's also that fear of like, am I hurting my health? Like, is Mm -hmm. this, is this, you know, going to deteriorate me? I think that also comes into play with how doctors talk to patients and, you know, you get diagnosed and they tell you your foot's going to get amputated. It's like, yeah, you're scaring people. And a lot of people with diabetes live a perfectly healthy life, healthy, long life, I should say. So I think being able to integrate intuitive eating and help people find those tools can add to the quality of your life. Mm-hmm. 100%. And so as we touched on earlier, for a lot of people, reintroducing all of these foods can be quite intimidating for them. Mm-hmm. For a lot of mm-hmm. women, as you said, like it's with women with diabetes, it's, well, what is this going to do to my blood sugars? But then also as women, we have this underlying fear of weight gain. I don't know what this food is going to do. And again, this is life experience that we've had, which have created these core beliefs. Now, how do you address this with your clients who have that fear of gaining weight, but still wanting to have that positive relationship with food as well? And that's a barrier that's currently stopping them from getting there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's such a good question. Because I think, you know, society, I think society in general just upholds this, you know, ideal that like a thin body is equal to a healthy body. And in reality, like what we understand is health is so much more than just body size. Um, Health is multifaceted, and we have to really look at the bigger picture. So, you know, when I work with clients, something that does come up is needing to use insulin and how insulin, you know, uh, doctors will tell them or medical providers, you know, don't take too much insulin, it's going to cause weight gain. Or if you get on insulin, this is going to happen. And I think that's really harmful rhetoric, because in the diabetes sense for that, it's like, actually, your body is needing that extra support. And that having insulin is going to help keep your blood sugars in a range that's going to help you function better and utilize energy better. So that's one harmful rhetoric. But when people are working on like incorporating more carbs, which certainly diet culture has made it seem that carbs are the enemy, whether you have diabetes or not, it's like, Mm -hmm. no, um, you know, truly having enough food is always going to be more important and carbs are our brain's primary fuel source. You know, if we're running off of just protein fats, it's, it's not going to help us um, use energy efficiently. And also just this pattern of 
weight cycling that happens, you know, thinking about what is, what is like your diet history. And sometimes I even walk clients through like, okay, you're talking about this fear around weight gain, but tell me about like, what's happened when you've gone on these diets before, you know, have you found success? How long was that? You know, so people can start noticing that, yeah, dieting really messes with us. And sure, you may see some success as far as maybe weight loss, but it's not sustainable. Oftentimes people are miserable. It's, it's more harmful than good. So sorry, that's a very long winded answer. But I think, I think it's meeting people with compassion, because we do live in a society that upholds this ideal. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I never tell people like, you can't desire weight loss, because I I understand that in this society, you know, people that are in larger bodies are discriminated against, are not given, you know, inclusive care, and it can be scary. So I recognize that. And I think it's helpful to guide people through understanding how diets haven't worked for you and why finding tools and finding ways to nourish yourself is going to add to your life. Yeah, I love all of that. I, for me, I used to work at one of the world's largest weight loss companies as mm. um, when I first started. And it's just so interesting being in and amongst that type of culture where they, they're there to make money, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. any diet or program that you go on that you have to be a life member of, Screams red flag because why? Why if you if it should get you to that end point and then you can stay there and right. live the rest of your life, you wouldn't have to be a life member. And so this yes. is where it's so important to understand that a lot of these large corporations that ch- like put out all of these weight loss ideas that we have to be or have to be doing, mm-hmm. it's not conducive to the life that we actually should be living or probably want to be living as well. And your self-worth yep. has nothing to do with the number on the scales or the clothing on your size. And if you were doing anything that is telling you that your day is good, if the scales have gone down or your day is bad, if the scales have gone up, red flag, like it just, we shouldn't give yeah. that our weight and food that level of control over ourselves yes. and our life. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that you touched on there was weight cycling. And I think this is something that isn't spoken about enough, right? Because for so many people, they have gone diet to diet to diet to diet. And they, mm-hmm. They've lost the weight, gained the weight, lost the weight, gained the weight. Mm-hmm. One thing that isn't spoken about enough is what are the actual health consequences of your weight constantly cycling like that? Yeah, there are cardiometabolic factors that can be at play increased insulin resistance. So, you know, especially speaking of diabetes, a lot of times people that have, and again, this is in no way uh, shaming, it's more so just like you said, weight cycling isn't talked about enough. I think dieting is way more harmful to somebody's blood sugar regulation than, you know, being able to include those carbs. So yeah, weight cycling can definitely impact I think it's like lipid levels it can Mm -hmm. impact obviously like your mental health your um it's like fixation on weight it it just messes with you because you know I think the diet industry it's like I think in the intuitive eating book they talk about like it's one of the only you know like industries where it's like you question yourself as the failure versus the product. Yes. That's so true. It makes you, it plays on your insecurities and makes mm -hmm. you feel 
like you are the problem and that you aren't yeah. good enough and that is why you can't yeah. maintain the results yeah you didn't have enough willpower yeah it's like it's well if that. you didn't have it's willpower, you. yeah you wouldn't be able to do all the other things in life that you're currently doing exactly yeah so um it's so interesting you mentioned like the past like job too because I also um mm. had that experience as well working for a pretty big company and um I even like kept in touch with some of the um the members and you know some people I became friends with and there was a few that ended up going to eating disorder centers yeah. <laughs> residential centers and it's like wow um you know I think wellness culture is very problematic because it's very much based on the um, the looks, like the aesthetics versus true health and you know actual lifestyle fi- uh, factors. So yeah, ugh, it's absolutely. One of the biggest turning points for me when I was working in the industry in that company was when I was talking to one of the members from it and she'd hopped on the scales and had gone up only a couple of hundred grams, which you know your body fluctuates all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she stood there and she was in her 70s and she broke down in tears. Mm-hmm. She was going on a holiday to Europe and she hadn't been eating carbs. She was petrified of the outcome. Mm-hmm. Her husband had basically said to her, like, you need, like, I'm not sacrificing food on this holiday for you. So it was impacting her relationship. She was scared about just enjoying the pizza, the pasta, the gelato, like, like she couldn't enjoy her holidays. She had oh been gosh. on and off diet since she was, I think it was like 15. Mm-hmm. So her entire yep. life had been yep. based, her, everything she had done had been about how can I constantly lose weight because I'm not good enough for X, Y, and Z. Mm. And it was just, she was just exhausted and she was done. Yeah. And she was like, I just can't do this anymore. And that to me was, I can't, like, I actually can't be in this type of industry because the in, like the negative impact that this is having on women is just mm. like, disgusting yeah yeah absolutely oh my gosh yes it's sad and it's like so many women experience this you know like there's so much pressure um there's so much pressure to be a certain size there's so much pressure you know as far as like what you can and can't eat so yeah I I definitely feel like I personally don't want to be in my 70s counting calories, counting carbs, things like that, you know, being able to uh, separate myself from all those like things that I did when I was younger has helped me to experience life. And, you know, I just had my first son in January and it's like, I'm so excited to get him excited about food. You know, it's like, how can we change, change the narrative? How can we help people learn to love food versus fear it? Absolutely. And because this is it, right? Like, this is our one shot at life. We don't get to come Mm -hmm. back. We don't get to take two of this. So you don't want to be missing out on all of those amazing opportunities. Like, you know, with you and your son, like going grabbing ice cream after school. Just like Mm -hmm. random spontaneous Mm -hmm. events like that. that Then become those core memories. You don't want to miss out on that just because food is the one controlling you. Yep. Yep. I a hundred percent agree. So talking about like these unrealistic beauty standards that we actually have in the world that we live in. 
Yeah. <laughs> How do you go about helping your clients move to a place where there is a little bit more self-acceptance or that body positivity and almost put on like blinkers or blinds to the societal norms that are constantly pushed on us? You know, it's, it's super challenging. Uh, yeah. I, I can recognize that, you know, people come from different places. A lot of women have dealt with, you know, um, weight stigma, um, terrible experiences with medical teams, things like that. So really holding space for them that what they've gone through is so hard. And also thinking about, you know, how can I help you find some gratitude towards things that your body is doing for you? And, you know, maybe we don't need to be at a place where we love our bodies, but even Mm -hmm. just feeling neutral or maybe, you know, feeling like, some acceptance towards certain aspects of our body is like a first step. And I always suggest (laughs) therapy. Like um, there's a lot of really great like body image therapist. And for people that have a lot of trauma around Mm. their body, I think that's another really helpful resource too. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I think it's, it's learning little ways to practice gratitude, you know, being able to separate from, again, some of those external factors, like if you find yourself body checking a lot, um, you know, I have worked with people where it's like, okay, that mirror in your room, we're putting a sheet on it. You know, we we're gonna make a make it a point to not be checking constantly certain parts of our body, because that is just messing with your head. Um, you know, being able to throw away a scale or have somebody yes. hide it, you know, whatever it's going to take, if, you know, just try to separate from some of those external, um, you know, factors that are kind of like telling you this message of like, you messed up, you did something wrong. But I, I personally just feel like this journey to self-acceptance just takes a lot of work. It's just not easy. And it's not an overnight fix either. And I think one of the key things that you mentioned is that you might never get to a point where you actually love every single part of your body and it's actually okay, but you can still have self-acceptance even if you don't like 100% love it. And I think that is that important ground that we need to let everyone know about is that this, this idea of, oh my God, you know, you love every part you said in the mirror, like, I love this, I love that, I never want to change anything. It's not realistic for a lot of women. Like, we all have our demons. No. And that's, that's oh, yeah. totally fine. That's life. But mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. still stand in the mirror and still accept what your body actually does for you every single yeah. day. And when you're going through this journey of moving towards that self-acceptance and that body positivity, there's this, like, uncomfortable ground that you go that is that body neutral. Like, and you're just neutral. Yeah. You're not positive. You're not negative. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. like, my body Mm -hmm. just is what it is and I had in my journey that was probably one of the most uncomfortable periods to be in because you're like this feels weird like I've gone so many years I don't have an opinion on this (laughs) yeah it's like I just feel like it's my just my body and then once you transition through that and you're like oh actually you know what like I do accept this about my body or I understand that my body shows up for me every day or it allows me to achieve x y and z and you start to view it in a different light and this isn't to say that I, I truly don't believe, and I mean, maybe there is somebody out there and hats off to them if there is, where somebody can get to a point where they feel positive about their body every single oh, day, no. all the time. No. <laughs> <laughs> if they're no, there, no, no. great. But like, 
you and I, you know, both of us probably even still have those days where you just don't feel 100% in your body or you like those intrusive thoughts come back in. Oh, yeah. And it's not a terrible thing that it happens, but you just actually Mm -hmm. have a toolbox to go to to know how to navigate your way through it. So it actually then doesn't impact food choices, exercise. Like it doesn't, you don't let it control the rest of your Mm -hmm. day and you can move past it, which is really important. Totally. Yes. I a hundred percent agree with that. And yeah, I think every day is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I even recommend to like for a lot of clients, like with going to the doctor's office, you know, asking to not be weighed or asking yes. for a blind weight. Um, cause I think if, if we're thinking about like medical conditions and doctor visits, like that can mm-hmm. be a very triggering event. If you're somebody that's like working on, feeling more neutral in your body, you go to the doctor's office and that can just totally mess with your mind the rest of the day. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's definitely a journey and, you know, to feel neutral or maybe to have that acceptance doesn't mean that all of a sudden every single day, you're just like in love with your body. Um, there's going to be times where you look in the mirror and you're not feeling it. And I, and like what you said, it's like, it's reminding yourself that my body still deserves food. My body still deserves to enjoy this day to show up for me, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I love that you said that. Yeah. And when you think about a car, for example, this is an analogy that I use with so many of my clients. If you hopped in your car and the tank was empty, you would never expect it to get you from point A to point B. You'd go fill it up. Mm -hmm. Yet Mm -hmm. for so many years, for so many women, They've woken up, underfueled that day. They're going to underfuel again and the next day. Yeah. Yet they still expect their bodies to function at its yeah. optimal yeah. level. Like they expect it to think mm-hmm. clearly, to have good energy, to not need mm-hmm. a nap, to digest the food properly, not get bloated. Like, yeah. And when you actually yep. think about all of these expectations that you put on your body, yet you're actually not giving it the fuel that it needs yeah. to meet those expectations, it makes you realize that, ah, like the respect isn't actually going both ways. And when you can let go of all of these diets, when you can feel adequately, when you can go back to basics and, you know, what you said earlier, like balance those meals in a way that's mentally satisfying, but meets all of the nutrition mm-hmm. needs that you actually need, it allows you to respect your body to a whole new level. And in turn, mm-hmm. your body then actually starts to respect you back as well, which is just such yeah. a beautiful relationship to have with yourself. Totally. Yeah. And it's like fed is always best. You know, uh, I think about like, um, even when people, you know, working through like diabetes and intuitive eating, it's like, when you start getting tripped up over like, Oh, well, this meal isn't perfectly balanced. It's like, listen, this is a great tool. It's not Mm -hmm. the only tool. There's other tools for blood sugar management. Like something I, I love talking about is sleep, making sure you're getting enough rest because when you're getting greater than seven hours of sleep, it actually can help increase insulin sensitivity. Wonderful. And it's restorative and helpful for you mentally. It's like beautiful movement, finding movement that is enjoyable and accessible for your body, no matter what it is, it could be cleaning your room. It could be gardening. It could be going to the gym, whatever you like any form of movement is going to be beneficial mm-hmm. for blood sugars. So it's like, just, just, you know, like with body acceptance, like having that toolbox, I think of it the same with blood sugars, you have a toolbox. Mm. So things don't have to be one way all the time. 
there's a lot of flexibility and that flexibility is important so that you don't feel like if something doesn't go exactly the way you thought it would, you didn't have time to put a meal together. Doesn't mean that you've totally messed up. There's other things you can be doing. So yeah. Well, it's not black and white, right? Like it's not, there's all or nothing. Food doesn't have to be, or your health doesn't have to be this rigid way. Mm-hmm. Also, what you said, it's so important for us to zoom out and be like, there are so many other parts of our health, sleep, yeah. movement, water. It's mm-hmm. When it comes to health, I think people get so fixated on the food and the exercise yeah. part that they forget about yep. self-care, sleep, water, every self-care, other aspect, yeah. Yeah, which <laughs> is such a big part of all of it. Yes, yes. Um, I just, yeah, I think in general, I think the like diet culture has complicated so much with health, because in reality, like, if we were able to step back and think about what are things I can add into my life versus what am I taking away? Mm -hmm. It's a much more sustainable approach. It feels more of something that's going to work for you on a consistent basis versus going back to like all the dieting. It's like, you're told to remove something, you're told you can't have things, you have to track, you're disconnected from your body. It's like all of it is not intuitive. (laughs) It's not working in a way that is conducive for a long term. It's really just meant for a very short term because people get burnt out. No kidding. Like you said, empty gas tank. So yeah, that's, that's why I love uh, getting to like integrate intuitive eating with diabetes because it just opens up that perspective that there are a lot of ways we can practice food freedom and balance our blood sugars absolutely and yeah that it's not just this one path for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. that's going to feel restrictive and because like we said at the start for a lot of people when they first diagnosed it's probably like oh my god what am i going to do about all of this so Mm -hmm. let's say somebody is listening to this podcast and they are like yeah oh my goodness I need to do this journey. Like I want to have that good relationship with food, good relationship with my body. I want to be able to balance my blood sugars and not feel restricted anymore. What is that very first place or step that they have to start this journey or what you recommend they start? So I, I would recommend, oh, that's such a hard one. Cause I feel like it's going to be different for each person, but I would say maybe I'm going to give you two, two things. Right. Yeah. Um, one, you could pick up the intuitive eating workbook. I like that because it gives you some practical ways to kind of like look through again, you know, some of the dieting rules you might have. I, I just, I like workbooks and it's yes. something that I use with clients all the time. So the book is great too, but I just like the applicable part of doing the workbook. So that would be one suggestion. Um, the other would be maybe even like seeking out somebody that focuses on to intuitive eating. You know, there's mm-hmm. so many providers, you know, like yourself, myself, it's like with different areas of specialty and it's like, seek out somebody that can help you along that journey because you know it it's not easy it's not easy to break down years and years of dieting um you know years and years of focusing on restriction so mm-hmm. i think having that support and then maybe even the applicable workbook can be great yeah i agree with both of those and 
that support is just such a crucial part of these journeys as well because everyone's different like your life experiences yeah. that have got you to where you are today your current life and how that works mm-hmm. and your body it's just so different and another reason why diets don't work is because they try and get you to morph yourself and your life into what they're promoting yeah which is so unsustainable yeah. for so many people yeah, whereas when absolutely. you can work with somebody that looks into your body, your life, and it yeah, allows individualized. you to, exactly. It allows mm-hmm. you to create everything that you need to create that's structured for you, which is actually going to be sustainable and maintainable. And it's just going to become this natural habit that feels as easy as brushing your teeth twice a day, every day. It's not this constant thought or this constant effort. Mm-hmm. You then yep. don't end up burnt out from it either, which is powerful. Yes. So yeah, I think that support is really great to also avoid that burnout Mm. of feeling like I'm not doing this right, you know, because I think it's easy to jump straight into intuitive eating, almost like a diet. It's like, I'm supposed to eat anything I want. And it's like, Mm -hmm. listen, I mean, you know, it is about giving yourself permission, but we got to work on, you know, especially if you've been struggling with binging, we need to work on that consistent nourishment. We need to work on your food rules. Like there's mm-hmm. just so much to it. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the most common myths I reckon around intuitive eating is people are like, well, if I just remove all these food rules, I'm just going to spend the whole day eating chocolate chips, donuts, like everything and anything under the sun. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you actually won't. Like yeah, I get the fear hundred percent, but it's not going to happen like that. Sure. The desire mm-hmm. might be stronger to start with, but the more that you allow yourself the freedom to have all this experience, it's no longer forbidden fruit anymore, which means that the desire isn't there as strongly, yep. which is um, mm-hmm. really powerful to move through that. Absolutely. Yeah, that was definitely my like aha moment because I was that person like there's just no way. And then as I was doing some habituation with food, I was like, whoa, <laughs> wait, <laughs> do I just need to eat consistently? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And so having that support then helps that, right? Because your mind then also second guesses and it's like, am I in too much? Maybe, maybe this is right. Maybe this is not right. And so that's where Mm -hmm. that support comes in to just guide you through that. And I cannot tell you how many clients I've had start that have been like, oh, I've tried to do this by myself for like four years now. And I just keep ending up back to the start because they didn't have that support. They didn't have that guidance to be like, yes, you're on the right track or keeping them accountable or adjusting what needs to be adjusted mm-hmm. because subconsciously their brain is keeps pushing them back to that comfort zone, even though they don't like the outcome of it. Totally. Yeah. So I definitely think that support can be great. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's not within like your budget or means, it's like, you know, definitely pick up the, um, intuitive eating workbook because yes. I love the prompts in there I think those are great podcasts listening yes. to different podcast episodes uh, those are all great places to start I agree now I have some quick fire questions for you are you ready for yes. these I think yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is one thing that you must do every morning to set your day up for me in particular uh, I have to have my breakfast and I have to have my coffee Yes. Coffee is like a must. I probably, yeah, I don't go longer than two hours of waking up without my coffee. So love that. Yeah. What is one thing that everyone can do every day to improve their life? So sleep routine, making Mm. sure that you have a way to decompress and increase your quality of sleep. It will really enhance your life when you get a little bit better sleep. 
Amazing. I love that. What's your favorite quote and why? Okay. My favorite quote, there's a little backstory. Um, I am obsessed with Julia Child. Um, I, my bridal shower was Julia Child themed. So the quote is, find something you're passionate about and keep tremendously interested in it. And I feel like for me, that is, you know, what I do now, you know, helping people with diabetes, make peace with food and manage their blood sugars. Like I felt like for myself, I had such a hard time after my Mm -hmm. diagnosis. Um, And I really just didn't understand that there were so many tools and things that I could be doing um, to manage my blood sugars without having to go keto or having to cut certain foods out. So um, I love this quote because I definitely feel like even though um, I wasn't sure, you know, navigating my own relationship with food, it's like once I started unlearning and was more in tune with my body, I was like, this is it. I need to help people understand that their lives don't have to be always in a diet. I love that you have found that passion and you're creating such a safe space for so many other people to come to, to work through everything as well. Now, one question that I love to ask all my podcast guests is in the distant future, when you're looking back at your life, what do you think will be one thing that you will actually be most proud of? And this could be something that you have already achieved, or it could also be something that you're hoping to do in the future. Mm, Yeah. I mean, Truthfully, with this business, I feel like I would love to see, you know, my business food freedom diabetes, just be a space of continued community and support for people with diabetes, to understand that they don't need to go through restriction or focus on weight loss to live a full life and manage their blood sugars. I just I feel like it. It's a repeated message that I've said, like, throughout this podcast, but it's like, so many people with diabetes just suffer and struggle and just throw their hands up in the air. Like it's just, there's no way, there's just no Mm. way I'm going to be able to manage my blood sugars. And so being able to provide that space where people see like it is possible and it doesn't have to be so restrictive is just very important to me. So I hope to see that continue to grow. Yes, I love it. I think what you're doing is just so powerful and absolutely amazing. Did you want to tell the audience if you have anything coming up that's exciting for them and where the listeners can go to find you? Sure. Yeah. So you can find me on my Instagram, uh, Food Freedom Diabetes, and I actually have in the next couple of weeks, I have a six week class called Diabetes 101 super excited about it. It is a weight inclusive um, class that's going to go through a lot of the fundamentals around diabetes, blood sugar management, without a focus on weight loss or restriction. So if that's something anyone's interested in, that is going to be starting September 12th. Exciting. That sounds so cool. I will put the all the direct links to everything in the show notes so that all the listeners have easy access to go over and follow you and follow along, maybe sign up to the that class because it sounds so powerful. And, you know, obviously you share so much over on your socials as well. So a great place for people to go and connect. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited about it and uh, I'm pretty active on Instagram. So feel free to just check out that if that fits best for you. Amazing. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Danielle, for coming and sharing 
everything that you have today. I think today's conversation has been so powerful and I know that it's going to land with so many of the listeners. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you again. I super appreciate it. What an incredible episode today with Danielle. It was absolutely amazing chatting about this conversation. If you know somebody who is currently struggling with diabetes or is wanting to start to intuitively eat, hear their relationship with both food and their body, then definitely send them this episode because I'm sure that they will be able to get some golden nuggets from it. I absolutely love connecting with all of you over on my Instagram, which is KJ Wellness with three S's. So head over there and let me know your key takeaway from today's potty app. I will chat with you all in the next episode very soon. Until then, you take care. Bye.